Church, in just a moment, I'm going to invite uh, the deacons up to receive our offering today. Usually this is something that we do at the end of the worship service to respond in thanks to the Word of God. Uh, but the close of today's worship service will be um, at the table together, so that's going to happen now. Um, just a couple words of instruction about our celebration at Jesus' table today. Um, we're going to remain seated, and the elders will be distributing the bread and the wine throughout the congregation. And um, the bread will come first, and if you are a baptized member of the body of Christ, uh, this meal is open for you. If you are a follower of Jesus who is desiring um, to follow him, not perfectly, but repenting and feeling sorry for your sin, if that is where you're at today, this meal is for you. Okay? Um, when you receive the bread, um, wait, and we will eat it all together after a few minutes. This allows you, allows us, a moment to quietly experience God's presence and think on Jesus, if I can put it that way. Think on Jesus. The moments where we're free and able to do that in life, um, there could be more of them. This is one of the best ones. Same thing with the juice. Receive it, and we will think on Jesus and then drink all together as a sign of our unity. Deacons, please come forward. Church, please be generous. The signs of God's generosity are right in front of us, and the least we can do is give him our first and best.
Church, last week we began a new uh, sermon and worship series here, timed with the fast approaching beginning of the new school year called Act Like a Kid. And the gospel lesson a week ago on Sunday reminded us that small children especially, babies especially, are first class receivers. And how Jesus challenges those of us who are no longer physical babies to receive God's love and grace like a little child. Jesus says this, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. The positive way of expressing this is receive the kingdom of God like a little kid. This is not to say that we who are grown-ups should be childish. Of course, we grown-ups have responsibilities to embrace, big problems to solve, challenges to tackle. We have a lot to do. But compared to what God has done for us, what we do is just like a tiny little speck of algae in the great ocean of God's love. It's kind of a humbling way to think of your life, isn't it? Just a little speck of algae in the giant ocean of God's love. The most essential thing in our spiritual life is not what we do, but what God has done for us in Jesus our first and most important work, our most significant task before we do anything else is to receive Jesus, to receive the love of God, to receive the sacrifice of Christ the way a baby receives food. Naturally, intuitively, the way a baby receives physical affection and touch. Openly, the way a baby receives the warmth of a comfy blanket. Happily. You don't have to be smart or rich. You don't have to have your act together to follow Jesus. You just need to be open. You just need to be willing to receive. Now, today's gospel word in guiding us to act like a kid is about sharing. Sharing is the word of the day. Every kindergartner knows if they share some fruit snacks with you, it's only right to share some graham crackers in return, right? We all know this from our earlier days. It's, it's good to share. It's proper to share. My young nephews will share a slurp of their slushy with me as long as I guarantee them that I, they, I will give them a big, messy lick of my ice cream cone, right? Share and share alike. Today's gospel lesson has everything to do with sharing. I'll be reading from John chapter 6. When Jesus looked up and saw a great, huge crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, and if you, as the people of God, would be the voice of the Lord today, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And Jesus asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, this is an interesting twist right at the beginning of the story. Jesus asks Philip a question of faith, and the scripture says, in order to test him. I'm a little bit troubled by this. Do you ordinarily think of Jesus going around testing the faith of his followers? I mean, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, lead us not into temptation. 
If I can split hairs a little bit, indeed, we pray, lead us not into temptation. Temptation are those areas of life where, where we know, God knows, you know, everybody around you knows, if you go there or if you get close to there, you're going to fail. Like, you have a strong track record of failing in this area of life. Oh, God, don't take me there, like to that precipice. That is lead me not into temptation. What is going on here is Jesus is kind of kicking the tires of Philip's faith. I mean, there's a huge crowd right in front of him. They're all going to be hungry. And Jesus is asking him, have you been around me long enough to believe that I can actually do something here? Or are you going to despair? That is the test. When confronted with some difficult obstacle or circumstance, disciples, are you going to despair? Or do you actually believe I might be able to do something here? Now, if this is a test, Jesus is in the business of testing all his disciples all the time, I would make the case. I mean, when do we not have something going on? A hardship at work, something complicated in our family, physical pain, sickness. And the question is always, will you despair and throw up your hands and say, there is no way this is ever going to change. There's nothing to do. It stinks. Or will that glimmer of faith Rise up and say, I don't know how you're going to do something with this, Lord, but your track record's pretty good. I believe you might do something with this. So Philip answers Jesus. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough food for each one to have a bite. This is not Philip's shining moment of faith. Right? He despairs. Jesus lays this test out in front of him. And, I mean, Jesus is not going to kick him out because he fails this test of faith, but he just despairs. He sees thousands of people, and he does this calculation. It's going to take half a year's wages to buy lunch for all these people. Okay, just a quick comparison. In the city of Elmhurst, the average household income is just north of $80,000. So if suddenly enough people just showed up at your doorstep that you needed $40,000 to feed them lunch, how would you react? Oh, Lord, (laughs) how is anybody going to have a bite? Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, another disciple spoke up. Uh, Lord, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far do you think that's going to go among so many people? I wish we had the tone of voice sometime in the Bible. I don't know. We don't know if he said this despairingly. Like, oh, how's this going to go with so many people? I like to think that though Philip could not see a possible way forward, that maybe Andrew just caught a glimmer and maybe humorously said, here's the raw materials, Lord. I mean, five tiny loaves of bread, a couple fish, but you're Jesus. I've seen you do some pretty amazing stuff. What can you do with these raw materials? I, I like to imagine that he delivered it with that kind of humorous and optimistic tone of voice. What can Jesus do even with these modest raw materials? The story continues. Again, if you would be the voice of Jesus. Jesus said to them, have the people sit down. Good, you're sitting. There was plenty of grass in that 
place, and they sat down. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Okay, now that's pretty incredible. Does this scene remind you of anything? I mean, in a little while, we're going to take bread and remember how Jesus lifted the loaf, gives thanks, broke it, and gives it to everybody. Okay? (laughs) And then he did the same with the fish. Now, the early church frequently, when they celebrated communion, remembering this very gospel story, in some places, they celebrated with bread and wine and fish. There is no fish on the menu today for you. I'm sorry, though though there's some precedent for this. Now, this becomes, in my opinion, a wondrous and somewhat comical scene. Our Lord Jesus himself is playing with the elements of creation. Jesus is like playing around with atoms and molecules, right? What is just five loaves and two fish becomes an abundance I'm thinking of what people would have said as this food was being passed around the room as baskets of fish and bread were clearly not being depleted by the time the basket reached the hundredth person. And it's still pretty full, totally full. The thousandth person and is still pretty full. Friends would be shouting to each other, Hey Dave, I'm eating the same fish as you. It's good fish. Amazement would give way to laughter and joy, even as hunger gave way to full bellies and people seated on, seated on that green grass realized Jesus is truly an amazing man of God. Jesus can do so much with just a little bit of raw material. Our Lord can do great things with just a little bit of sharing. We like to ask for our fair share. Right? If you take three licks of my ice cream cone, I will expect three drinks of your slush in return. If I only get one, I will feel a little bent out of shape. Mercifully, God does not abide by this standard. (laughs) God made every atom in the universe, and when one of his disciples or followers in trust and love pushes just a little bit, sharing it, oh God, what can you do with this? I mean, you gave it to me to begin with, but I'm sharing it back with you. God does way, way, infinitely way more than his fair share. When we share just a little bit of time with God, be it in meditating on the scriptures, in being quiet in the presence of God, I was talking with Pastor Bert earlier week this week about his own investment of time in memorizing the Sermon on the Mount this year. When we just invest a little bit of time into spiritual practices, like the richness of that time pours over us uh, like a beautiful cascade of water. You get so much blessed time back in return when you share your precious time in spiritual practice with God. 
I mean, it doesn't mean that every second is a shining moment, but that investment of time in spiritual practices uh, is paid back in beautiful ways by the Holy Spirit. When we invest our talents that come from God, God does more than his fair share in return. Last weekend, I hung out a little bit on Friday and Saturday and Sunday with a group of amazing young classical musicians. Um, I mean, these kids are top-notch. They're all going to end up playing in professional orchestras. Uh, They were in Chicago for a week. And in addition to practicing and performing with one another, um, they cleaned up an apartment in Lawndale. They played at uh, the health center in Lawndale. They played for homeless folks in a shelter. They served in a soup kitchen. And everywhere they went, I mean, they're... Non-Christian friends look at them and are like, why are you not practicing an extra four hours a day? Like, if you are a professional violinist, unless you're practicing eight hours a day, like, someone is going to lap you. Except that what these young people have figured out is it actually helps our music and helps us live and play with a large heart and spirit when we don't just go into a hole and practice our fine arts for 12 hours a day. We'll practice six hours a day but we also want to go out into the world and share our immaculately manicured fingernails with homeless people. I wish I could tell you the stories. I was with them for three days. Like, miracles happen when you give your talent to the service of the kingdom of God. The same thing happens when we give, when we share our treasure, our cash, the stuff that God has entrusted to us. Someday I will tell you a story about a little girl 100 years ago who died before her 10th birthday and she saved up just a tiny little bit of money and kept it under her mattress and this dollar and change God used to plant churches to basically fund a handful of ministries for decades to come just from this dollar and change that this little sick girl saved under her mattress prayerfully and purposefully. God can do incredible things with the smallest of raw materials. And the question for us is, are we willing to share? Are you willing to share? The size does not matter. The significance matters. The size does not matter. Are you willing to share what God has put into your life and to let it go and to humbly say, God, I know needs. I know where there's gaps. There is no way what I have can meet this gap, but I am willing to push my raw materials and stand back and wait. And if you want to do something, awesome. And if you don't right now, awesome. I'm just willing to share and trust. When we share with God, God is infinitely more than fair in sharing in return. The story concludes this way. When they had all had enough to eat, happy bellies all around, Jesus said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over and let nothing be wasted. Um, Now, John Calvin, I went to Calvin College. 
uh, John Calvin, who stands at the front of the Reformed tradition, took from this passage that all Christians should be outstandingly frugal and stringent with all resources. Right? Because not one scrap was left. I don't think that's what this means. (laughs) I think almost a little bit of the reverse. Like Jesus made an abundance out of almost nothing. And I think the point here is like when they gathered it up, it was meant as a sign of the Lord's generosity and extravagance and potential abundance. Not that we all should be super tight. You following me? All right, if John Calvin strikes me later today, you know why. So they gathered them, indeed, and they filled 12 baskets. Started out with five little loaves. 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign, notice that word, saw the sign that Jesus had performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, Jews at that time were expecting a second Moses, a second great prophet to lead them into political freedom. They did not live in a free country. They did not live in their own country. They are expecting now, because Jesus fed their empty bellies, that he is going to be the politician to end all politicians. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Jesus came to be their savior, not their politician. Amen. Jesus came to be our savior, not our politician. And what he did on that hillside all those years ago was a sign of his kingdom. It was a sign of how life is with God. But let us not confuse one day on a grassy hillside with long-term life with God. What Jesus did provided short-term satisfaction for 5,000-plus empty bellies. It was physical food. It was a sign of his extravagance and abundance. Do you think those 5,000-plus people were hungry the next day? Yes, Of course. I mean, Jesus supernaturally made the food multiply, but he did not give them supernatural food that eliminated the need for a meal eight hours later again. It was a sign. Jesus came not to just give us a meal every once in a while. Jesus came from heaven and earth to give us eternal satisfaction in the deepest, hungriest part of our soul. Jesus came to be living bread for us, to be both temporal and eternal satisfaction for what we need the most. You buying this? Because we're pretty easily satisfied. I mean, most days if somebody makes me a good meal, like, whew, great, did it for me. A lot of days I go blissfully unaware of the depth of the hunger in my heart of hearts. But that is why Jesus 
walked the earth to feed that part of us. Later in John chapter 6, just in case we disciples don't get it, Jesus said this. Will you read with me? I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whenever someone eats of this bread, they will live forever. And the bread which I give is my flesh for the life of the world. Oh, Lord Jesus, amen to that. Forgive us for not knowing how hungry we are. Forgive us for being so easily satisfied with what gets us just through today. Could Jesus be any more clear? I'm living bread. I came down from heaven. It's the sacrifice of my flesh. When you share in that, when you unite with that, when you become wrapped up and one with my sacrifice and my resurrected life, that's when you really experience something. Oh, if we truly long for this experience with Christ, union with Christ, the presence of Christ wrapped around every part of us, why do we so frequently settle for less, for wanting less, for asking Jesus to be what he is not? Just a quick fix. That is not what he wants to be. Oh, Lord, we invite you to be for us who and what you truly are, to be our Savior and Lord and provider, to be the satisfaction of the eternal desire of our souls. And because you are all of that, Lord Jesus, we also desire to give you back your own, the fragile, human, raw materials of our lives. And by your grace, we believe, God, that as we share as we share ourselves, as we share the lives of we, your children, that you will meet the hunger of this world. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, amen.